2: Hello and welcome into another episode of A Call Away. Adam Giardino with you, broadcaster for Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, the AAA affiliate of the New York Yankees, and we're going to take another dive into the Yankees minor league system this week with an extra special focus on the top level here in Scranton. The Rail Riders had their all-star break coinciding with the big league all-star break, and so Only four games have come and gone since the last time we spoke to you, but we've got highlights from those games, and we've also got a few conversations that I'm sure you're going to love to hear. We once again chat with Phil Plantier, the hitting coach for Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, longtime big leaguer, and in his second year working with the Yankees' AAA Bats here in Scranton. We've also got one of those bats in outfielder Clint Frazier. First time we've had a chance to sit down and chat with Clint this season, and it's a really enlightening conversation. He's somebody that in the year plus that I've had a chance to work with him and get to know Clint. He's such a a thoughtful interview, and I think the way that he comes off in this conversation is in such stark contrast to perhaps how people and fans view him and view what he did up in the big leagues this season in terms of dealing with the media in New York. And we've got a bonus interview for you. The Real Riders were up in Syracuse taking on the Syracuse Mets, and though not an all-star and certainly far from the player on the team with the best numbers, we had a chance to catch up with the guy who has certainly garnered the most attention in A for the New York Mets this season, and that's outfielder Tim Tebow. And then, of course, at the end of this episode, we have a chance to catch up with all the broadcasters at all four levels of the Yankees minor league system. Matt Dean with Single-A Charleston, Nick Flamia in High-A Tampa, John Moses in Double-A Trenton, and our very own Adam Marco here in A. And Adam had a chance to join me on the podcast as well for some broadcast banter where we talked about... What that first day coming out of the All-Star break was like, and we'll talk about it a little a little bit as we recap the highlights from this weekend. But ultimately, the Railriders sent four players to El Paso to participate in the Triple-A All-Star game representing the International League. But those four guys didn't get back to the ballpark until well into Thursday's game, and as a result, scranton Wilkesbury had to start a game without a designated hitter for the first time in over a decade since they were A affiliated of the Philadelphia Phillies. So a totally different feel to Thursday night's game as a result of some travel snafus. Obviously, in the winter, you fly and you hope you avoid snowstorms. In the summer, you hope things are a little bit better. But sure enough, flying from El Paso to Syracuse somewhere along the way, Daniel Camarena, the starting pitcher, had to get three at-bats. Also in that conversation with Adam, we talk about Davey Garcia, the top active pitching prospect in the Yankees organization, just over 20 years old, 20 years and 57 days old. He pitched, as we record this last night, for Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, making his Triple A debut. And we also talk about Clint Frazier and the trade deadline and what we suspect could happen over the next couple of weeks for New York as things get closer and closer to that July 31st date. So let's take a look at the highlights. Four games in Syracuse over the weekend beginning Thursday night. And for Scranton Wilkes-Barre, we talked about it. It was a little bit of a different type lineup. Daniel Camarena batted in the nine hole. He struck out twice, grounded out as well. So he was 0 for 3. And Camarena, a guy that can swing the bat a little bit, but 0 for 3 regardless. The game on Thursday night began with the Rail Riders jumping out to a lead. They led one nothing on a second-inning homer from Ryan LaVarnway, but then Syracuse scored twice in the second, a run in the third, and so the Rail Riders trailed 3-1 going into the sixth inning. Tyler Wade then hit a home run to bring the Rail Riders back to within a run, but Syracuse added a run in the seventh, and they won 4-2, that final score, 4-2. Syracuse taking the opener of the four-game series. Rail Riders got one back the next day, though, and it was a comeback effort because Granton Wilkesbury trailed 2-1 going into the seventh inning, and the bases were loaded with nobody out. But then there was a pop-out and a line out on the infield. And so the bases were still loaded. The rail riders still
3: trailed 2-1, but the batter was Tyler Wade. Here's the pitch. Ground ball through the right side of the infield. Doug Davis sending Ambergy home. Here comes the throw from Gregor Blanco. The slide, he is safe. Ball kicks away from Renee Rivera. Zach Zahner with an RBI single to second on the throw home. And the Railriders' two out magic continues. They take the lead with two outs in the seventh inning. They add an insurance run with two down here in the eighth. 4 2, Scranton Wilkesbury in the lead.
2: An inning later, Railriders added a run on an RBI single from Zach Zahner. That made it 4 2. Syracuse scored a run, but too little too late. They lost 4-3. Rail Riders earned a split of the first two games of the series. However, on Saturday, the first of two consecutive tough pills to swallow were the Rail Riders. Going into Saturday, had been 43-1 and this season when leading after six innings. They took a lead into the seventh inning both Saturday, Sunday, and they wound up losing both games. So the Rail Riders on Saturday... They lost 6-2 on Sunday. They lost 5-3. And so Scranton-Wilkes-Barre turns the corner back to a home stand where they welcome the Columbus Clippers to town for four games over four days, then three more against the Louisville Bats. And that's before they flip locations. And Scranton will be playing at Columbus and at Louisville starting this time next week. Our very first interview this week here on A Call Away is Scranton Wilkesbury, Rail Riders hitting coach Phil Plantier. We've already heard from him at times this season, but with the final chunk of games, fifty-one games to the home stretch for Scranton Wilkesbury, as good a time as any to catch up and check in with the hitting coach Phil Plantier, a guy who's been a player and part of many all-star breaks, someone who's a veteran in terms of knowing how to use one to recharge himself. And that's where we start with Phil wanting to know whether there was any particular advice, whether he gave any direction to guys on how to best utilize their all-star breaks so that they're ready to go for the stretch run. I
0: think every, every player has their own way of doing it. The guys with their families get to spend some quality time with their families. Uh, some guys go and they visit, they visit home, wherever that may be. It's good. It's nice for them to get a break. And sometimes their bodies just get a blow from from playing every day, and they get recharged that way. Some guys, like you said, the, the the few guys that went to the All-Star game. I hope it was a great experience for them. I haven't had a chance to talk to them since they've been. They're not even back yet, so I haven't had a chance to talk to them about it. But it was fun watching those guys on TV, and hopefully that was a positive experience for them, and they can use that positive experience and take that into the second half. And there was a lot of guys here doing some things the right way prior to the All-Star break. So my goal is just to get them back on track as soon as possible and get back into the routine, routines right away. How did you spend your All-Star break? Personally, traveling 3,000 miles is not a break, so I chose to stay in Scranton. Got some work done. Watched some of the. I watched the All-Star game just like everybody else. It's a baseball fan. And took a day to do some laundry. So mine was actually very uneventful at the same time. Um, having a few extra days kind of helps me plan ahead what's coming up. The next third of the season, we're a few games away from the last third of the year. I'm trying to anticipate things that will be coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks, a month after that. So if I get a kind of a kind of a rough sketch about what could be coming up, um, I'll be more prepared when they do. Talking with hitting coach Phil Plantier.
3: Obviously, a big story across AAA baseball. And you see on the AAA All-Star Game, elevated numbers for everybody at this stage of a season, looking at the 90-100 to 100 game mark. A number that caught me last week, it's not the home runs, the fact that we've already surpassed what we hit in 138 games last year, but we're up a run and a half per game this season versus where we were last year. Is this a better offensive club? Is it the baseball? Is it any number of things that factor into why offense is up or through the roof this year?
0: Well, the history of the game has always evolved based on first the strike zone. So like the history of the game, you can go back and look at it. The strike zone dictates how pitchers pitch. Then the the hitters are counter punchers. And that's kind of always been the sequence of events. Now you throw in another variable in there with the baseball change in the big league, second half of 15, obviously the game changed there. So now that we have that a similar baseball, I won't say same. I'll say similar baseball here in AAA. I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing the same trend, more runs being scored. And I think that's a strong contributor, but I do believe that guys that were here, for example, like a Mike Ford, uh, Ryan McBroom, I do feel that they have gotten better in some other areas, and you pile that on with the baseball change. I think that contributes to some of the elevated numbers Um, I think pitchers are just as good as they have been in the past if anything there's more movement on the pitches because of this baseball and I think the hitters are quicker to adjust now to the pitchers just because they're getting more experience despite being the offensive
3: boon that this season has been do you get an appreciation for when our guys our pitchers go out there and throw a gem we've seen it from Cameranda we've seen it from Chance Adams and Nestor Cortez all of these guys Espinall just before the break when they go out there and they're putting up you know seven innings of one run two run ball does that mean more to you to a, to a guy who appreciates offense now than it might have
0: oh absolutely and from a hitting coach's standpoint when our pitchers are taking care of business out on the hill, it's, that means our position players aren't playing defense as long, and we're in the dugout, and they're on on—they're playing defense. So it's, we get to hit more. We get more opportunities there. But, yeah, its uh, I think execution, whether you're a pitcher or a hitter, is still the name of the game. Everybody plays on the same field with the same baseball with the same rules, and the game's always going to come down to prep work, your game plan, and your execution. And whether you're on the mound or in the batter's box, your ability to do better than that, then your opponent uh, is going to determine who wins. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports
1: is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. deal.
0: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: Back inside a call away, and it is the post-All-Star break edition of Broadcast Banter. We welcome the voice of the Rail Riders, Adam Marco, into the podcast.
3: Welcome. how's your All-Star break? It was fun. I saw a couple of movies. I spent a little bit of time with my wife. We went to the vet, took the dog to the vet. You know, all of those <laughs> things that need to be accomplished when you have like two and a half days worth of time to get caught up on the previous two and a half three months we already heard that interview that you
2: recorded with phil plantier so your your all-star break doesn't sound too much more exciting than than his did where he was getting caught up on work and getting ready for the the last 51 games of the season
3: i'm fairly certain phil did more laundry than i did he uh he might have led the team in laundry doing during that span i did stuff around the house worked on the car dog to the vet I did see two movies, so I took a little bit of time for myself and got ready to go for what should be a very fun and interesting second half of the season. Boy, I went to a beach, and now you're starting to make me feel guilty that I did too much over my couple of days off.
2: There are four guys for the Rail Riders who didn't get to do that sort of relaxation. They got to relax in a different way, and that would be the four all-stars, Kyle Higashioka, Mike Ford, Ryan McBroom, and J.P. Fireisen. Now, for those guys... uh, we already dove into the highlights from earlier this weekend in which they didn't quite arrive back with the team (laughs) on Thursday. What was the sense like you were up in Syracuse? I was not. What was the sense like that whole day when people were trying to figure out, uh, are we going to need to play without a designated hitter tonight?
3: I saw the lineup come out probably one o'clock, two o'clock at Syracuse, somewhere in that range. And I'm thinking, huh, huh, Well, we only have Ryan McBroom in the lineup for this game. We weren't going to play Higashioka. We weren't going to play Mike Ford, J.P. FireEyes, and probably wasn't going to pitch and didn't end up being needed ultimately. Well, we need J.P. every day, but we didn't necessarily have to use him in the game. When you're down to a roster that's 13 pitchers and 12 position players, and three of them are coming back from El Paso in a very lengthy trip back it's kind of concerning and looking out on the field i see dilson herrera is already back for the syracuse mets because he had the very first flight out on thursday morning from el paso the rail riders didn't have that flight yeah that's interesting
2: to me that that herrera was able to make it back you'd figure okay let's just get everybody i mean how many flights could there possibly be from el paso eventually winding up in Syracuse, but obviously the answer is more than
3: I would have guessed. Or not enough. It's one (laughs) of the two. So, and I would have understood if Mike Ford had different plans because Ford was an all-star... Then he was in the big leagues. His ticket to El Paso was canceled. He wanted to play after the Yankees optioned him out. New York purchased his tickets from what I heard. So I could see if Ford wasn't on the same trip back with McBroom and Fire Eisen and Yoshioka. That being said. You see it getting closer and closer, and we come out for the stretch, and there's seven guys out there. (laughs) We need nine to play. Like, all right, how are we going to make this happen? And it's at that point where I'm thinking, we're going to have a lineup change. We're not going to be able to play the lineup as it was. And for whatever reason, Jay bell decides not to put Billy Burns in the lineup that day, which I also understand. If you're looking at it from a perspective, we've got – 10 people here we have nine people here excuse me you leave Burns out because what if somebody gets hurt you have that flexibility that you could put somebody on the infield if you were forced to Burns in the outfield we have three catchers so it put Ryan LaVarnway at first base and you use Daniel Camarena who used to be a solid hitter many, many moons ago, mind you, but you could put Daniel Camarena in the nine spot of the order. Is he going to be allowed to swing or is he going to have to take that Chance Adams Adonis-Rosa route when we lost Higgy out of a lineup as the Rail Riders lost their DH in May when Higashioka had to go up to the big leagues? Cam took some swings. Yeah. But it's really when the team came out for batting practice and there are two groups and there are seven guys and it's like, okay, there's no way and you hear their flight's going to land at 5.37 for a 6.35 game. All right, well, maybe. Maybe McBroom gets there. He's in the lineup. That's how it works. Maybe we swap him. He is the DH, and Ryan LeVarnway plays first base. Well, LeVarnway played first. We ended with that. And that lineup came out. That change came out within maybe 10 minutes from first pitch that the guys were still not there. You go through the game, and I'm looking down at the dugout the whole time, and they're still not there. By the time the Camarena was done pitching and we needed to get an arm in the bullpen, it was Doug Davis having to go out and catch that bullpen because Kratz was the catcher, LaVarnway was at first base, and Higashioka still was not there. That was the point in time where I knew, wow, these guys, it's like 8.30. They're still not here. JP is the first one I saw, because he normally brings the backpack out to the bullpen. He came out and like gave the, I'm here, I'm here, everybody calm down. <laughs> Ryan McBroom pinch hit in the ninth inning, went one for one with a single to Railriders Probably could have used those bats, even if they were going to get the bulk of the day off. And a little
2: more on Camarena. He's a former All-American in high school playing first base. He Played in the AFLAC All American game out at Petco Park in San Diego, played alongside some really impressive names in Francisco Lindor, Jose Fernandez, and last year when Camerana was released by the Yankees, signed by the Giants, and AAA with Sacramento, he was 3 for 20, so serviceable, but as you mentioned, hitless 0 for 3 with a couple of strikeouts against Syracuse on Thursday night. So that's how this whole thing got started in terms of getting the second half of the season underway last night, we had an opportunity to be really the focal point of the New York Yankees minor league system. And for a large part of minor league baseball, the focus was here in Music. 20-year-old Davey Garcia. He's a right-handed pitcher. He is the number four prospect in the Yankees system. In terms of healthy arms, he's the top pitching prospect in the Yankees system. Incredible numbers coming in. He's Finished his AAA debut, again, 20 years and 57 days old. Barely 20 years old. Finished his AAA debut with five innings, three runs, gave up a two-run home run to Max Moroff, and struck out six. What is and what was your takeaway from
3: his performance last night? A little surprised with the velocity that we had heard, the numbers you had seen at the Futures game put up on the board, that it was down a bit, and I would suggest initially that all right well maybe the in-stadium radar gun was off by a mile per hour until you have joe harvey coming in late in the game on monday night throwing 96 to 98 and harvey's not a guy that hits 100 so if it was two ticks off that was solved yep. for me when harvey was throwing 98 i thought it was a decent first outing columbus is a home run hitting team it's a decent offense they lead the league in a couple of categories they're not necessarily a club that's going to get on 10 to 15 hits every night they might have five or six and all of them are home runs but I thought it was an experienced lineup that he did well against he struggled the first two batters gave up a couple of base hits and Scranton Wilkesbury did a nice job bringing him back and taking the pressure off that he didn't necessarily have to worry about well I can don't have to go out there and have to pitch a perfect inning that it I think that helped this offense that the Rail Riders have certainly helps a lot of pitchers breathe a little bit easier. We saw the four pitches. We saw a couple of really good change-ups. I think he relied a lot on the fastball, and we didn't see the out pitch. We didn't see a breaking ball as an out pitch. We saw him use the change-up to get out of a couple at-bats. All of the strikeouts were swinging. I don't know how much deception there really was in his first outing and maybe that's the jitters, maybe it's just getting comfortable with this level, with these hitters, with the new catcher, a guy that he had never worked with before in Eric Kratz. So any number of things that you take from Monday night's performance and you see how it follows up on Saturday, the anticipated second start against the Louisville Bats. With the
2: eyes of minor league baseball and certainly those focused on the Yankees system here in Music. yesterday, there was an absolute swarm of scouts that came down with the trade deadline just a couple of weeks away. And as much as Davey Garcia sounds like an unmovable piece, according to Brian Cashman, that it would have to be for someone of the ilk of Max Scherzer, I think to get Davey Garcia out of the grasps of Cashman and the Yankees. Another guy who's here that we're about to hear from and we'll play you an interview is Clint Frazier. And he's obviously an extra piece in this Yankees organization with Aaron Hicks, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Brett Gardner, all up in the big leagues. Mike Tockman's up there as well. Frazier just doesn't have a spot up in the big leagues and is valuable to some other organizations. But you had that conversation with him, and we're going to play the conversation. But before we do, what was your takeaway? Because I've listened back to it now a couple of times, and what I think the public— perceives of Clint Frazier has not been what I perceive, and I think you perceive, of Clint Frazier in the year plus that we've gotten to know
3: him. We start by talking about the concussion issues of 2018 and how his season ended. We were witness to it in Columbus, and it wasn't that diving attempt. It was more the ill effects of everything that had happened leading up to it, and he realized he just wasn't right, Talking about being sent out by the New York Yankees, Clint knows he is a big league caliber player. And I think the defensive struggles he had in the majors, for whatever reason, things weren't helped when he didn't talk to the media after one of those games. And he's trying to make plays. He was trying to give it the effort at the big league side of things. And I think because of everything around it, he got a bad rap for it. Frazier has a lot of ability he's got a lot of tools that make him a major league player and maybe we haven't seen the game put 100 percent together here in AAA this year it's hard to argue with his thoughts that the numbers he put up offensively made him a major league player I mean 283 11 homers in the limited amount of time and he even spent a little bit of time on the injured list for the Yankees earlier this year it's when you, when you have the opportunity to talk to him, it's hard not to like the guy. You just hope that he has that chance, whether it's with the Yankees or as a piece in a deal to another club where they're going to play him every day at the major league level. I you know, really hope the best for Clint Frazier this year. You want to see it with New York, but you know those names you just mentioned, and maybe that's not where the opportunity is.
2: And before we get into the interview with Clint, I'll ask you one final question. That trade deadline is approaching. Who are some of the names that you could see move just in terms of not necessarily extra pieces we see guys go up and down and there have been so many guys on this roster that have played up in New York this year but in some ways that almost does make them a little more expendable so what are some of the names that you wouldn't be surprised being moved from this
3: roster before the deadline I look first at what the Yankees need and you be hard-pressed to tell me they need anybody on the position player side do they really need offense because they've got Mike Ford, Bravik Valera, Tyler Wade, Clint Frazier, Kyle Higashioka, all on the 40-man roster playing here at AAA right now. And they've had the opportunity this year to bring up Brad Miller and Cliff Pennington and Logan Morrison. So I don't think they go after anybody from a position player perspective. I think the arms they've got out of the bullpen are excessively strong. You've got the depth of Steven Tarpley, Joe Harvey, Chance Adams down here. So it's really the starting rotation and what can they get what will they get is it a max scherzer that's going to take a premier package is it going to be you know do you go after madison bumgartner which is also a premier package or look at some of these deals that have been made right now or compare it to last year where they got jay hap this year the first couple of moves are homer bailey and andrew kashner does that take a clint frazier to get those guys i don't know if it necessarily does I think you could look at some second, third tier guys and still find a serviceable three to five starter like they did last year. Marcus Stroman's been a name that's been kicked around from the Toronto Blue Jays. Is he a frontline starter for the New York Yankees? No, he's not a one. He might be a two, three, four in this rotation. You're going to get Severino back. I'm not sure the Yankees have to be forced into trading Clint Frazier. Tyro Estrada, Stephen Tarpley, Joe Harvey, guys out of the bullpen. I don't think Mike King gets any consideration for a trade possibility because he hasn't been healthy this year. Davey Garcia, is he a movable piece? Maybe. Because he's young, he's controllable, but I think the Yankees will be hard-pressed to do that. Uh, I could see those first couple of guys being options over any of the younger talent that is realistically a year away from being major league ready. Adam Marco, the voice of the rail riders, our guest here on Broadcast Banter.
2: Thanks for the time and we'll talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. As promised, Clint Frazier joined Adam Marco up in Syracuse for a pregame interview, and we've got that conversation for you right now. Talk to him about his overall health, that concussion up in Columbus last season that ended his season and just generally how he feels he is and where he feels he is at this point in 2019.
4: feel good, you know, and obviously one of the hardest things for me since the concussion last year was not trying to create the symptoms in my head without them actually being there, you know. So last year, whenever I dove for the ball in Columbus, it wasn't the dive that ended the rest of my season. It was what I was going through prior to that, you know. So the dive was just something that let me know, like, I'm not ready to be doing these, this action right now. And, and I was still feeling symptoms whenever I was there. That's why I took the three days and the All-Star break last year and tried to see if I could do it and ultimately didn't, which is why I went on the big league DL instead of the minor league DL because it happened in the big leagues. So it's a scary situation. I mean, obviously you don't want to go through an, an injury, but the way that I've had to attack it, it's just, you know, run towards the fire, not from it. And, you know, the other night in, in Scranton, I made my first diving catch of the year and i've dove for like 15 balls so that one felt good and so making the second one making two in a row felt great so you know i think i'm past it i think i just got to continue to to go out there and just continue to have the confidence i have in the box in the outfield this is such a game of repetition it always amazes me when a pitcher takes a line drive that he's back
3: out there it just screams past his head so i have to imagine that for a fielder each time you do it you just gain more and more confidence that you're beyond all of it and you
4: can finally move on to whatever's next. Yeah, I mean obviously every t- any time you have success it continues to build confidence and you just have to make sure that whenever you don't have success that, that confidence is not altered. And you know for me it's at the big league level I've shown that I can hit and you know I've shown that you know there's room for improvement in the outfield. So, you know, me and Julio once we finish this interview right here, we're gonna hop out there and, and do some defense and continue to try to show that I can compete at the big league level in the outfield and, and not just in the batter's box talking with Clint Fraser, Rail Riders Outfield.
3: You've been with the team a couple of weeks now since the Yankees sent you back to us and I know the approach for every single person on this 25-man roster is get to New York, get back to that big league level. How do you stay focused on Friday, July 12th
4: versus the grand scheme? It's tough, you know, I mean, that's something that I've battled since I got sent down because, you know, I did play a big role in that team during the, the stretch that we had and and wasn't really told a lot to work on whenever I came down. It was more just this is the reality of the things and and try to handle it as good as you can and just know that you're going to help us again at some point during the season. And that's a a tough pill to swallow, you know, considering I've battled back from everything that I did last year to try to get myself in this situation to help this team and to be demoted was tough. So, you know, coming down here was was difficult, but I'm trying to make the most of it because it's, it's still baseball. It's still an opportunity to go up there and possibly never be sent back down again. And, you know, I just have to, to be where my feet are at right now. I can't, I can't live in the past. I can't live in the future. i got to live in Syracuse right now and, and get ready to play the Mets tonight and just know that moving forward that everything is, is going to work itself out as long as I continue to, to put the work in the way that I have. Finally for you, Clint,
3: little rapid fire here. I want to build the perfect Rail Riders hitter and I'm going to take your skill set, your tools out of this equation. Of all the guys in this lineup that you're playing with right now, whose swing do you like the most? Let's pick a perfect swing at
4: the plate. Who do you like? Swing. Perfect swing. Right now, I like I like Fords. Fords is one of those where it's kind of like mine, where it's like I'm trying to hit the ball as hard as I can every time. So I'm going to go with Fords swing right now. All right, who's
3: approach at the plate? You know, it's not just the swing, but it's every aspect of what he's doing up there. Whose approach do you appreciate the most?
4: I like Tyro's. Uh, Tyro, you know, he went up there. I got to watch him do some stuff in in a big league game. And, you know, Tyro's first at bat, he goes up there and lays down a bunt. And and that goes with the approach, you know, being able to get the ball down and and play the way that he can. And and Tyro's such a good hitter, so I got to go with his approach. Lastly for you, you get your base hit
3: Is this perfect hitter. We've got Ford swing, Tyro's approach. Whose speed do you want on the bases? You're out of this
4: equation. Who do you want? Whose feet do you want taking you around the path? I want Wade's. Wade's, and then if I could add a little sprinkle on top, I'd put Brumie's power. You know, okay. Brumi's I mean, Brumie and Ford have a lot of the same numbers, it looks like, but if I got to take a, I got to put both of them in there because both of them are having great years.
2: Back inside a call away, Adam Giardino with you, and it's time to wrap things up here on the podcast, but not before we get you the promised bonus interview. Tim Tebow, outfielder for the Syracuse Mets, former Heisman Trophy winner, had a chance to sit down with our very own Adam Marco this past weekend up in Syracuse. We cover a broad spectrum about his transition into baseball, talking about really his transition from double A to triple A, and then talk a little college football at the tail end of the chat as well. And the very first question that Adam had for Tebow is, how do you turn what was such good football athleticism into what you now need Today, as everyday baseball athleticism.
5: It's hard, you know, it's a big switch. Um, you know, kind of every facet of athleticism. You go from a game where you peak once a week to trying to be ready every night, and that's a huge change. And so many people that I've worked with, countless number of coaches through the Mets organization and and outside of it that have helped me, and, and a lot of players as well. So I'm very grateful for all of that feedback. And, you know, I think it, for me it's just been a process of when I made the change of, understanding that it's going to be hard and it's a grind and you know the best at the game you know go three for ten so there's a lot of failure at it and understanding how to deal with that failure and then being able to and continue to work every day through it. You've had the ability to work your way up through the New York Mets organization level by level. What are the level to level changes, double A AA to AAA for you? I think one of the biggest things as a hitter is they can command their secondary pitches probably a little bit better um, in AAA. I think it's a lot of guys that have a lot of big league experience that are really good at what they do. And so I think it's also, you know, having the right game plan against them, you know, um, a little bit of a chess match and, and being able to adjust when they're showing you something different. You mentioned adjustments. Football is a game of adjustments nonstop. Are you making those
3: same in-game adjustments that you would for football that you would here in baseball, or is it more day-to-day?
5: It's in-game adjustments, absolutely. You know, especially when they start bringing in relievers. Um, but then it's also day-to-day, and um, you know, and then if you're, you're working on something with your swing, and then making that adjustment, and then it, you know, so you're, there's a lot of adjustments, and I think that's one of the biggest things about baseball.
3: You are a massive force when it comes to the charitable aspect, and I think more players need to be involved in that side of it. Is it difficult, or does it come naturally to you to
5: drive that charitable side while still operating as a professional athlete? For me, I don't necessarily look at it as a... As a charitable side, I look at it as trying to have a life of meaning and significance and purpose. And I know that doesn't come from playing a game, whether it's baseball or football. I think it comes from being able to impact those around you and being able to encourage and be able to change another life for the better, which is hopefully something I, I try to do every day and um, that's one thing that we try to do through the Tim Tua Foundation and um, but also every person you encounter there's an opportunity to impact someone for the better because they met you because they know you because they've seen you um, hopefully their life can be a little bit better that's the attitude that I take and try to have every day because it's not just about winning games hitting home runs or strikeouts it's about being able to affect someone's life for the better and you never know what someone's going through and and maybe you can be that piece that can really brighten their day. I had the chance to see you years ago as a Columbia Firefly. So watching your impact
3: both on the field and off the field and how you approach it is uh, is really inspiring. I, and I hope a lot of players pick up on that. Lastly for you, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. My coworker, Adam Giardino, is a huge college sports guy. So I either need you to say something good about UConn football or we'll take the easy way out. Give me a dark horse college
5: football contender this year that's not Alabama or not Clemson. Well, I can say UConn's had really good basketball teams over the years. Dark horse, you know, I expect pretty big things out of Georgia this year. Um, I think that if you look at what they've done the last two years, I think you would say they're ahead of schedule, especially two years ago. But two years ago, if you looked, you would have said this is their year. This is the year that they have to be ready. They have to be relevant. They have to compete for a championship But then again, if they're able to make it to an SEC or a playoff and and fall again to Alabama, I think that... Man, it creeps in your mind. If you're an athlete and you lose three times in a row, three years in a row in a, in a, a different form of a championship game, that's big. So if they get that test again where they can play an Alabama, I, I think this is that year that they have to get over the hump. And um, I think they have the pieces and the talent. Will they be able to put it together? Because it's hard. You know, two years ago you play for a, cha- a national championship, you lose. A game you should have won. Last year you are an SEC championship game, a game you should have won against the same team back-to-back years. And, you know, if that happens again, it's tough to get over.
2: Thanks to Tim for being our pregame guest over the weekend. And that'll segue us into our last segment of this week's episode of A Call Away. And that would be our look around the minor league system. We go down in single A with Matt Dean, high A with Nick Flamia, double A with John Moses, and our very own Adam Marco here in triple A with scranton Wilkesbury. Take it away, Matt. With
1: this look at the Charleston River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean. The River Dogs have won two of their last five games in the past week, heading into Sunday with a 10 and 12 second half record. Charleston's team has gotten younger as the season has progressed, with recent additions of 19-year-old shortstop Oswald Peraza to the squad last week and recently turned 20-year-old Anthony Siegler, who's been the primary backstop for the Dogs since June the 10th, when he got a surprise call-up after he was preparing to get his season started at the short season level.
6: Oh, uh, it was awesome, uh, I mean, words can't, can't explain how excited I was, especially uh, coming here and then uh, being able to play in Rome in front of my family, my first game, it was awesome, it was a neat experience, glad my family could be there, I mean, it was, it was electric. Just a year and a half removed from high school baseball, Siegler has hit
1: 203 through his first 24 games with Charleston, but a keen eye at the plate has already drawn 19 walks, good for a three seventy on on-base percentage. While the adjustments at the plate have been a focus, last year's 23rd overall pick is gaining invaluable experience, working with one of the most hard-throwing pitching staffs in the minors.
6: This is awesome. I think it's actually going to help me in the long run, just being able to catch that kind of velo already. It's it's just going to help me improve, especially from a receiving standpoint. But uh, uh, being able to catch them, they all have electric arms, it's it's awesome. I mean, I I wouldn't want to be in a a different spot. I love where I'm at right now. A truly ambidextrous talent along with switch hitting, Siegler famously switch pitched in high school, a skill he still maintains to this day. On off days, like you said, I always throw lefty. If I'm DHing, if I'm not playing, I always just go out there and try to throw lefty. I'm always throwing, but uh, it's not something that I, I want to do in the future, but I just kind of mess around, just want keep it, to keep it in shape. With this look at the River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean.
7: With the Tampa Tarpons, I'm Nick Flamia. On Thursday night, the Tarpons swept a doubleheader against first place Dunedin, snapping the Blue Jays' 11-game winning streak. Tampa then embarked on a six-game road trip, and after dropping the opener on Friday, won last night in Port Charlotte, snapping the Stone Crab's 10-game winning streak. The Tarpons have won five of their last eight games and have climbed to within four and a half games of first place in the Florida State League North Division's second-half standings. Home run and RBI leader Dermis Garcia was placed on the seven-day injured list on Tuesday, but the position was filled by Mickey Gasper. The 23-year-old was promoted from Charleston and homered in his Tarpons' debut. Entering today, Gasper has reached base safely in 10-of-20 plate appearances, going 7-for-17 7 with 5 RBI in 5 games. Shortstop Diego Castillo is enjoying a resurgence at the plate, batting 341 over an active 12-game on-base streak. Outfielder Pablo Olivares is at safely in 8 straight games, batting 345 in that spin. And switch hitting Oswaldo Cabrera is hitting 316 over his last 16 games. Last night, right-hander Gio Orozco tallied a career-high 11 strikeouts while posting seven strong innings in Tampa's 6-4 win over the Stone Crabs. It was Orozco's seventh quality start of the season and his fourth time completing seven innings. New York signed veteran big league reliever Dan Jennings to a contract on Monday, and the Southpaw tallied four strikeouts while yielding a run on two hits in three innings. With the Tarpons, I'm Nick Flamia.
1: With uh, Trenton Thunder, I'm John Moses. Thunder came out of the All-Star break, a four-game series in Reading, and it started with a bang on Thursday night despite a 5-3 loss. Outfielder Matt Lipka hit for the fourth cycle in Trenton's franchise history, completing it with a two-run home run in the ninth inning. 3-1 to Lipka, swing and a high drive to left field. Randolph toward the left field's corner. It is out of here! It's a two-run home run, and Matt Lipka has hit for the cycle. Lipka's game has always been based on speed, something instilled by him. From the way his father helped teach him
4: the game as a kid, just I just played the game hard. Like my dad put a big emphasis on that. He's a big Pete Rose fan, so you know he he played the game hard, um, and he just loved the way that Pete played. And you know, just watching it was just was just so much fun. So you know, I just like I like for people to be able to watch me and say, hey, you know, that guy plays the game the right way, he plays the game hard, and you know, he's going out there and
3: laying it all out there no matter what every day for the Trenton Thunder. I'm John Moses. With this look at the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco. In June, with a flurry of outfielders coming back off the injured list, the Yankees optioned Clint Frazier to Scranton-Wilkes-Barre. In 19 games since joining the Rail Riders, it's been a slow work in progress for Frazier. He's hitting .227, one homer, and seven runs batted in. Frazier was with the Railriders in 2018 and had a relapse of his concussion symptoms after making a diving attempt in Columbus mid-July.
4: I feel good, you know, and obviously one of the hardest things for me since the concussion last year was not trying to create the symptoms in my head without them actually being there, you know. So, you know, last year, whenever I dove for the ball in Columbus, uh, it wasn't the dive that that ended the rest of my season. It was what I was going through prior to that, you know, so the dive was just something that let me know, like. I'm not ready to be doing these this action right now.
3: Since rejoining the Rail Riders, Frazier's been trying to hone his defensive skills. For whatever reason was seen as a liability at the big league level, but is now taking pride in the fact that he is working on that aspect of his game to make himself a more complete
4: player. At the big league level, I've shown that I can hit and you know, I've shown that, you know, there's room for improvement in the outfield. So, you know, me and Julio, once we finish this interview right here, we're gonna hop out there and, and do some defense and, you know, continue to try to show that I can compete at the big league level in the outfield and, and not just in the batter's box. With the Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco.
2: That puts a wrap on this week's episode of A Call Away. Don't worry, we'll be back next week. But in the interim, if you want to catch some Rail Riders baseball, pregame coverage before every Rail Riders game is with Adam Marco and me, Adam Giardino, on the Rail Riders Radio Network, the Tune In Radio app and on the MILB First Pitch app as well. So pregame coverage for 30 minutes, then first pitch. We've got action this week. The Columbus Clippers, the Louisville Bats at home here at PNC Field. Then we turn around and hit the road to Columbus, to Louisville. And boy, we are getting closer and closer, not just to the trade deadline, but regular season in minor league baseball wraps up on Labor Day. So quickly closing in on the last month of the season here in the minors. As mentioned to Madam Giardino, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Adam Giardino, G I A R D I N O. Thanks for listening this week. And if we don't talk to you on one of the radio broadcasts, we will talk to you again next week on a call away.